Tune in to the Echo Box. You're listening to Titled Science here on Echobox Radio. I'm Nicolien. And I'm Nicky. And uh, together we host Titled Science. We play some nice tunes and introduce you to the coolest research. And the topic of today will be causation and moral responsibility. Uh, we will discuss what we think causation actually is. Um, when can we say some event caused another event? And what does this imply for moral responsibility? Yeah, so we have two guests here today. Our first guest is Dean McHugh. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here. So you're doing a PhD now at the University of Amsterdam, and you kind of look at causation from a more philosophical and linguistic perspective. And then we have Taima Nuniga. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here. And you are doing a PhD in law at the University of Leiden. Yep. And yeah, in law, causal relations are always really important because you want to look at if someone actually did the crime, if they really caused the damage. Um, so yeah, it's really nice that you're both here today. And maybe to start uh, to to kind of explain to the listeners why this combination is interesting, uh, we wanted Dean to to tell you to tell us about uh, this example uh, that kind of illustrates how different conceptions of causation can be important in lawsuits. So uh, can you explain us about this this case in the U.S. Uh, where a man was fired because he was gay. Yeah, sure. So thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here talking about a topic I really love. So my PhD, as you said, is talking about causality from a lot of different perspectives, from logic, which is a kind of mathematical science, from philosophy, from a bit of computer science and linguistics. And basically what I want to do is just understand the meanings of some words in a very precise way, where it has the precision of, say, a mathematical theorem. So one word that I am very interested in is because. And if you might think, okay, semantics is not such an important field. Who cares about arguing over these tiny meanings? And even like if you're at the dinner table, sometimes people will say, um, well, uh, that's just semantics. It doesn't matter. And then maybe I got a bit tired of hearing people, you know, throw my whole field down the drain saying, oh, it's just semantics. It doesn't really matter. And then I realized, well, actually, we're governed by language. That is the whole mechanism of the state imposing its power on its citizens through law. So I thought, well, actually, we have the science of linguistics, which is not that old, to be honest, but is really flourishing today. And I thought, well, you know, some words are very important. And that's when I found discrimination law, because you have a lot of legislators who wrote discrimination law saying it's illegal to fire someone because of their sex for example. And now the question of what because means makes a big difference to whether you win or lose a discrimination lawsuit. And then as I was interested in discrimination law, I saw this case. This was back in October 2019. They were arguing it in the US Supreme Court. So they argued it on October 8th, 2019. And there were a few cases. Two cases were about a gay man who was fired uh, for being gay, and that was agreed by all parties. And then another case was uh, someone who um, was fired for being a trans woman. And then I thought, okay, well, if I look at the text that they're arguing about in this case, it's the Civil Rights Act from 1964. 
um, which was Martin Luther King's big legislative achievement. Um, and that had a provision called Title VII, saying it's illegal, basically it's illegal to fire someone because of their sex. And then here we have a case where someone was fired not directly because of their sex, they were fired because of their sexual orientation. Yeah. If I can give some background to the story. Um, so Don Zarda was a flight instructor, a skydiving instructor in New York. And he uh, would go up strapped to the client, the customer in the plane and jump off the plane. And one day he was strapped to some woman going up on the plane. And the woman, I don't know, made a joke or if it was serious, she said, uh, oh, I don't know if I feel so comfortable being strapped so close to a man. What will my boyfriend think? And then he wanted to reassure her. So he said, oh, honey, you've got nothing to worry about. I'm gay. This is not a this is not an issue. And then they did the skydive. Whatever happened, they came down. And then the client told her boyfriend what the instructor, Don Zarda, had said about him being gay. And that somehow made its way to the boss. And very shortly after, the boss called in Don Zarda and said, look, I have to let you go. And it was very clear from all parties that it was because he had said to a client that he was gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then this court, this case made its way, way through the courts. The question was, well, um, is firing someone because of their sexual orientation also firing them because of their sex? And here, this is a very nuanced issue about what because really means. Because the only law we had was that people couldn't get fired because of their sex but not because they're of their sexual orientation yeah in the yeah. in europe we have more modern uh anti-discrimination law mm -hmm. say from the european charter of human rights but um in the us the 1964 civil rights act was the most recent piece of legislation they had even back at that time in 2010 um so then it made its way to the courts and different courts disagreed about whether that counts and it made its way to the supreme court and on the one hand you had the trump administration saying well, sex, sex and sexual orientation are just two different properties. So I can fire someone because they are a man or a woman and not, and not care about their sexual orientation. You couldn't even know it. And vice versa. You could say, I only fire, you know, I only hire straight people. And that's independent of whether that's a man or a woman. So the Trump administration said, look, these are just two different properties. How could they be connected? When they wrote the Civil Rights Act in 1964, they said, we wrote it with sex. We didn't have any mention of sexual orientation, and especially not gender identity, like back in 1964. Yeah, maybe I, I should interrupt you because um, before you kind of explain uh, how the lawyer eventually was able to argue uh, this case, before you kind of present the solution, we wanted to ask the listeners uh, to, to say in the chat whether they think that it can be argued in this case that... Um, that this employee was fired because of their sex. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, maybe we also will play some music so you can kind of, or maybe you want to add some more details about the case, Dean, if you want. Um, um, well, the court just said sex refers to some kind of biological characteristic, which is maybe not the understanding we have today, but they just assumed that. And then also they, everyone agreed, it was clear that the Don Zard was fired for his sexual orientation. Yeah. So all the facts of the case are very clear. There's no ambiguity there. The question is just the law. We don't have any law preventing uh, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, but we do have a law banning discrimination on the basis of sex. So was it illegal to fire Don Zarda for being gay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's think about it while we uh, play a song. Um, the song will be Because uh, I'm a Man from Tame Impala.
Okay, so, well, we haven't had any answers in the chat yet, um, but I think maybe we got very quick into it in the beginning. Um, but so the question was, we had this, we had this case of uh, an employee and he was fired because he was gay. And now the question is, can the lawyer basically argue um, that indirectly he was fired because he was a man in this situation. If there's some way in which we can argue that he was fired based on his sex, because that is the only law that he could uh, or she could appeal to as a lawyer. Um, so yeah, my, my first intuition actually was when when you told me this story that uh, yeah, I just I just didn't think how you could really argue it. I felt like oh, it's related, but. I don't think you can really say that he was fired because of his sex. Uh, what did you think, Nicoline? Yeah, I agree. Like, of course, I do think it's wrong. <laughs> but um, sexual orientation and sex do not seem to be the exact same thing. So, uh, yeah. Do you have any first reactions? I don't know if you still know your intuition, Dean or Timon. Uh, of course, you already know the how they solved it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, But I also have a, a background in law so immediately all t types of interpreting statutes spring to mind so mm -hmm. i'm trying to figure out different ways to get around the language and trying to avoid to actually answer mm -hmm. yeah. this question so i actually had a solution in mind but it was a different one oh. than, than, than okay maybe we can hear it after dean yeah. yeah. explains yes. like the classical solution so yeah maybe just spill the <laughs> juice yeah, so I was so fascinated by this case that I went immediately to the audio of the oral argument. Mm -hmm. um, the Supreme Court doesn't have cameras in the court, but they do uh, record a transcript of everything. And you can read the transcript or better yet, just re uh, listen to the actual audio. And it's very lively. There's a lot of laughter and it's, it's, a, it's a good atmosphere in the court. Um, the main lawyer who is arguing this case uh, for the Don Zarda uh, Pam Carlin. Uh, she started out with the argument in the first line. If a great strategy if you want to convince people, like super clear. So there was no doubt how the case would go in my mind from that first line. So I can give you some of the argument that she gave. Um, so she just said, well, we, you might think that yeah, sexual orientation and sex are just two different properties. And um, in 1964, you can write a law that prohibits sex discrimination without having any clue about sexual orientation discrimination or gender identity discrimination. Um, but just imagine that you had, um, you were in an office in the common room on a Monday morning, and then two of your colleagues come in, and they, one of them says, oh, I had a great weekend. I just married my partner, Bill, on the weekend. And that's amazing. Wow. Another uh, company, like a colleague comes in and says, what a coincidence, I also married someone called Bill on the weekend. There are two different Bills, let's assume. And then, um, so they're like, That's, this is amazing, you both did the same thing. And then the boss overhears the Monday morning chats in the common room, and then invites the first employee in who married their partner Bill on the weekend, and says, oh, I overheard what you said in the common room, that is amazing, you should get some time off, you should have a honeymoon, where are you going to go? You know, here's a, a bonus for uh, so you can enjoy your holiday. And the first employee goes away very happy. And then the second employee comes in and the boss says, look, I overheard what you said in the common room. That kind of behavior is not appropriate for our company. And it's not really acceptable to have such people working in our company. Uh, so I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. And this employee obviously goes out quite shocked. Um, 
they both did the same thing. They both married their partner, who is a man, on the weekend. Um, and the only difference, maybe you can see where this is going, the only difference between the two employees is that the first was a woman who married a man and the second was a man who married a man. This was Pamela Carlin's argument on, in the oral argument. And if two people do the same thing, and the only difference between them is that one was a man and one was a woman, that's sex discrimination. Yeah, yeah, it's very clever. So you kind of show, she kind of shows that she, she draws this hypothetical scenario and she says, well, in this situation, if the employee uh, would not have been a man, so if it was a woman and they would marry a man on the weekend, then nothing would happen. The employer wouldn't fire them. But since they are a man here, because they are a man, they are being fired for basically doing the same thing, right? Yeah. So the question really here is, well, can you include the fact that they did the same thing when you judge discrimination? Like, is that how the word because works? And that's where my interest came in. Um, of, so one thing that I had learned just from analyzing cases that were not political, like ordinary cases of causation, is that you can take into account the circumstances that hold, uh, like when the cause occurs. Um, for example, if I flick on a light switch and the light turns on, I can say I caused the light to turn on. Now, a lot of things had to be in place for that to work. There had to be power in the building, a working wire, all that stuff. Um, so the circumstances include the fact that there was power in the building. Of course, this is not a Supreme Court case, this is a very ordinary case, but you can kind of apply the same reasoning where you can fix some circumstances and then kind of change the scenario in your head, say, if he was a woman, according to the protected characteristic here, which for the Civil Rights Act, Title VII is uh, sex. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so in, just like in an ordinary case where we say, if you hadn't flicked the light switch, the light wouldn't have turned on. And we assume that still there's power in the building. We can fix the fact that, you know, Don Zarda was uh, attracted to men and then think, okay, well, if he had been a woman who was attracted to men, he, would have, um, be, he wouldn't have been fired. Of course, if you don't fix that, then the argument doesn't work. You can say, well, if he had been a, uh, a woman, well, maybe he would have been attracted to women, who knows? And then he would have been a lesbian and would have been fired anyway. Let's assume the employer's rule is very cut and dry. They only hire, only keep straight people in the job. So, you know, if we aren't allowed to fix the circumstances, the fact that Don Zarda was attracted to men, then the argument doesn't go through because he could have been a lesbian if he was a woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as we see from very ordinary cases, when I say um, the light turned on because I flicked the switch, that's true. And if someone says, well, what if you hadn't flicked the switch, but, um, you know, there had been another reason for the light to turn on? Someone says, well, that's irrelevant. I was talking about the actual circumstances. And the actual circumstances are one where, you know, there was power in the building and also there was no other wire leading to the light. Yeah. And in the same way, in the Don Zarda case, you can say, well, the actual circumstances are that he was attracted to men. Yeah. So we take that into account. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so one way to to deal with uh, causation is you think you fix the circumstances and see what would have happened uh, if one thing was different. So that's one one way. And and you mentioned earlier, Taimen, that you had a different way to deal with this case. Yeah. Uh, that's what a, so was that? Yeah. So that's a bit of a, a legal perspective, and it doesn't have all that much to do with uh, causation. Okay. Um, but in the end, it comes down to interpreting an entire statute, right? 
And so we immediately now jumped into uh, the, the meaning of the of the word sex and, and what can you do with that and can you maybe bring this particular case mm. under that heading, yes or no. Um, but when I think about a case like this, um, I don't necessarily go for that type of interpretation. The only reason that the lawyers went for this type of mm. interpretation is that the bench, uh, so the, the, the judges in the, in the case, were particularly conservative. And... So to convince a conservative judge of a civil liberties issue, uh, you need to speak that language. And uh, some of them, Neil Gorsuch being one of them, have the view that you should only look at the plain meaning of the text. That's the only thing you have and that's the only thing you can look at. But there are many different ways you can look at the same thing. You could also say, let's look at the intention of the legislator at the time. And then you have the originalist who say, okay, what did they think in 1964? Well, obviously, they didn't have sexual orientation on their mind. But you could also say, well, they were trying to prevent discrimination on random circumstances. You, we don't no longer want that. In the 1960s, that mainly meant race and gender. But now that also means sexual orientation, right? So if you see the statute as a living instrument, mm -hmm. then you would get around the entire problem and would say, look, the purpose clearly is to prevent this type of discrimination. The only reason you really need to go into all this detail is mm -hmm. because you need to convince conservative judges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was quite special in this case that the judge was uh, quite conservative himself, right? But he was still convinced by the the argument of the of the lawyer of Pamela. Yeah. So if I can give the outcome then of yeah. the case, yeah. Well, actually, that was the argument, but who knows if it will mm -hmm. actually succeed? Oh, true. <laughs> um, so what actually happened is they decided the case um, in June of 2020, and six judges agreed with Pamela Carlin that uh, sex discrimination, uh, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation does count as discrimination on the basis of sex. Three judges, uh, more conservative judges even than Gorsuch, I think, um, disagreed. They said, look, you're changing the law. And that is something that the government can do, the elected representatives, not unelect nine unelected judges. Um, they said, look, you're taking this uh, word this statute that was written in 1964 before anyone had any idea of the kind of movements that would come after regarding sexual orientation and gender identity rights. And they said, um, this is the, the meaning that was in place in 1964 and you're legislating. And then what Gorsuch, who is also, you know, he was a Trump appointee. What he said is, well, as uh, Timon explained, I'm just looking at the meaning of the words. We are governed by words, not by thoughts, not by intent, not by, you know, historical context. We are governed by words. And because you have the word because here, we must we must really think about what this word means. And this hypothetical scenario explains that the man was fired because he was gay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or so because of his sex then. In the opinion of the court, they said, well, actually, uh, because... When I say you were fired because of your sex, it could be in part because of your sex. And and here, Don Zarda was fired in part because of his sex, because of this argument with um, being fixing the fact that he was uh, dating men. Yeah. Um, right, because no one ever said, you're fired because you're a man. But in part, it was because he was a man. Mm -hmm. Because they would not have tolerated the same kind of behavior from a woman. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure if that's the most accurate way of phrasing it. It definitely explains the concept quite clearly. But for me, looking at the meaning of because, it's just a fact, as we saw in the light switch example, 
that you can fix the actual circumstances and we interpret causal claims with respect to the actual circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, we don't need to say it was um, because in part, in part because of sex. We can just say because of sex. And actually, when we look at the kind of inner workings of the, mean, the meaning of the word because, we get that it's, it's just because of sex. Now, unfortunately, Don Zarda died in a uh, base jumping accident in Switzerland in 2014. Uh, six years before the case was decided, so he has oh, no idea. No. Yeah, he has That's no a idea. Sad ending. Oh, what the case was only decided six years so late. So the this, he was fired in 2010. Yeah. And the legal oh, system wow. in in the US at least and in a lot of places. It's the same here. Okay. <laughs> Take, it takes a while. Oh my. It took ten years to get to Terrible. the Supreme Court. Um, so and then he died four years later, and then in 2020 they decided the case. So it was big news because it basically meant that even though the Civil Rights Act from 1964 had done amazing work prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex, it, because that was a federal law, it meant that even if some states had updated their laws, you know, like liberal states, Massachusetts, had updated their laws to include protection for sexual orientation and gender identity. Now it was across the board, even in the most conservative states. They all needed to accept this consequence of the of the word because, basically, right? Yeah. So yeah. a tiny technicality in some semantics turns out to mean that um, you extend protection to all uh, queer Americans, you know, regard, and they have the same protections that exist between men and women yeah. that have existed since 1964. Yeah, yeah. I think this in this case in illustrates really nicely how um, if you really look closely at the definition of because or what it means to be a cause, then uh, this can have uh, consequences for, for law, as we see. And uh, what we see here is that uh, people ex kind of accept that something is a cause when you say okay if so if for example if you have the light switch like the light switch causes the light to go on that's what we think and we think that this is the case because if you didn't turn on the light switch the light didn't go on and we this test is kind of known as the but for test and uh time we this is kind of the traditional test that we use in law to see if some one event actually causes another event right yeah absolutely so that's always the starting point you always look at someone did something wrong what if they hadn't done something wrong? Would it still have happened? Uh, if not, then it is a but-for cause, right? So that's that's the, the, that's why we start. Now, obviously, that produces ridiculous results because you crossing a um, a red light can eventually lead to disastrous circumstances because then someone else you scare someone else and they hit someone else. And there then, can be like a lot of chains exactly, of yeah. events. And and your and your uh, your fault of going through a red light is actually but for cause, right? Had you not done that, none of that would have happened. So Why you obviously actually... need to bring it back to the essence yeah. and really, and then we have additional tests figuring out, okay, is it a reasonable cause? Can we really say that this particular action is a cause? Yeah. Why yeah. is it but for? Where does it Yeah, but, but for, I, <laughs> I think, I think I'm not being, it, I struggled with that concept a bit as well uh, when I first heard that. Um, and I think maybe I'm going to look at my, my, my colleague here, <laughs> whether I'm saying this correctly, but the idea is that, that you say something like, but for the rain, I would not have been wet. So had it not rained, oh, I would not okay. have been wet. I okay. think that would yeah. be something. Yeah, we, in semantics, we talk about these words called exclusives, like only, but, except. And but is just a modern English kind of old-fashioned word for saying except. Like, I love but you could be something you would have said in the 17th century, even though that has uh, faded away from modern use. Uh, so I guess as a testament to how arcane 
an old-fashioned legal language can be sometimes yeah this is what we call it yeah i'll do even better i think so on the continent uh we use conditio sine qua non uh, the latin the, phrase the latin. yeah and that's come, come from better uh, i think yeah, roman law yeah. but it's easier right condition without which it would not have happened yeah it makes more sense but dean would you agree because i think that in law if i'm correct i mean this this but for test is really accepted as a test for causation so like as a good definition of causation absolutely yeah yeah, yeah so, so all of the cases start out that way mm-hmm. like, like i said there are some corrections to it but yes it's always the starting point yeah and is this uh dean in in philosophy is this also how it's kind of accepted that we define a cause do we do we also use this bot for test and then say oh yeah something is a cause okay well i don't know if anything is accepted really with nothing the, is <laughs> the amount of disagreement um it was definitely a starting point um a lot of people i mean going back to a lot of people cite David Hume as someone who worked a lot of on causation, and he mentioned this uh, test where we look at what they call counterfactual dependence. Like if the cause hadn't occurred, the effect wouldn't have occurred. And to summarize a lot of research, um, one of the main issues has been about figuring out when that counterfactual test works and when it doesn't, and how to update it to cover all cases. Um, this is one of the, the main issues. Um, and people have used so many different approaches. Some people look at probabilities. Other people, like myself, take a more logical perspective and think that there's really a core meaning in there that doesn't have to depend on... Um, you just plug in what the actual circumstances are and you get you get your outcome. Um, but there isn't such a meaning, you mean? Yeah, some, some logicians like myself think there is such a meaning out there. We have to find it. Mm. And a simple argument for this is, well, as a kid, we learn these words from our guardians our parents you know we learn because you know omdat font whatever yeah um and then there's something that we pick up from our the people we learn language from when we're a kid and we go out into the world and we talk to each other remarkably successfully yeah we all understand each other when we use the word because or yeah so what is that thing that we picked up as a two-year-old basically I mean, if a two-year-old can understand it, surely the best philosophers, the best <laughs> minds of our generation can understand it. Um, so that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for and yeah. a lot of other um, people as well. And they have some modifications to it. Generally, a lot of people accept that some kind of counterfactual dependence like... And is, if you matters. say counterfactual, is it uh, the same as this but for? Yeah, so saying, well, but for the interpretation in the law is, well, we're looking at but for the cause. So, but for is just short for, but for the cause. Mm-hmm. And then that says, like, except for the cause, which we interpret as if the cause hadn't occurred. So, modern researchers, a lot of them accept that we need to look for something like a scenario where if the cause hadn't occurred, mm-hmm. but they disagree on whether we should check whether the effect occurred or whether something else happened. Some people say, well, we should check whether there's a chain from the cause not occurring to the effect. And yeah, it's. It's still a very open question. I think we have made a lot of progress in the last 20 years on answering these questions. And that progress can now be implemented in uh, analyzing statutes and looking at court case cases. Um, there's still a long way to go, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Taima, um, maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, one example that you already told us of uh, previously, of a case in which you see that this but for test uh, doesn't always work that nicely in law and it was this case about uh, a man uh, living in a house with asbestos and then he got lung cancer but he was also a heavy smoker so it is and then if you use this but for test if you say oh what if um, 
there was no asbestos in his house. Maybe the man didn't get lung cancer, but here it's very hard to see, right? Because since he smoked, that could also be a cause of... Yeah, exactly. So it's it's slight difference is that it was his employer who exposed him to asbestos when he was working okay. there. But he yeah. was also a heavy smoker, smoked for 28 years. And, 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 and the question is, of course, which one of the two is the cause? And, and is it the asbestos or smoking? Or the smoking, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that is obviously very difficult. And the problem um, in the legal context is that the victim bears the burden of proof because you're the one going to the judge saying, look, something went wrong and I now want compensation for it. And the judge says, sure, I'll hear your case, right? I, I want to listen to you, but you'll have to give me proof. And so that means that in these types of cases where you have two potential causes that are both equally likely the victim always loses, right? And mm. so that seems very unfair at the same time. Because in law, it always ver- needs to be very clear that it was really the beyond cause. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, yeah okay. right. So you need to prove to a certain point, but but if there, and, and, and look, these are two two circumstances, but you also have his genes to take into account. Maybe it's just bad luck, right? Uh, and the smoking, and how do you take account of all of those things? And, and then at, and in that particular case, the Dutch Supreme Court said, look, it would be really unfair to um, reject the claim because we cannot figure it out. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it would also be really unfair to just allow it because we feel bad for someone, right? He also smoked for 28 years, might very well be the cause. And it's it's unfair to burden the employer with the, those costs. So then they just found a way around it and said, we're not going to split it. But that is very, very unorthodox. It doesn't happen all that often. So what do you mean with that they would split it? Sorry, so it split the responsibility. So the hospital bills were, I don't know, couple of hundred thousands of euros and then they split it according to the probability that it was caused by the asbestos right because for the asbestos the employer was responsible because they should have had security measures in place which they did not so that part is for 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 them to to account for and then the other the other bit so that's the bad genes and the smoking and all of that that's yeah just his bad luck or his bad behavior Okay. And he has to account for that himself. So you kind of make it into a proportional thing. You say, okay, it was like 40% chance that uh, the asbestos caused the lung cancer, so the the employer needs to pay 40% exactly of the right. hospital yeah. bills. Because the problem is here, to make it clear, that if you want to use this but-for test, you cannot say, oh, look, if this asbestos wasn't there, then this person would not have gotten lung cancer. We don't know because... He has uh, yeah. also smoked. That's exactly. that's the problem, the, right? Yeah, and it's a typical legal problem because we are here constrained by uh, the evidence and our knowledge of the world, mm-hmm. which we just don't know. We, mm-hmm. t- this is just unclear, right? Mm-hmm. No one can prove this, yeah. and you need to find a solution because you, you can't you can't really like I mean a philosopher could say I, mean, I still haven't figured it out. I need another twenty years for my dissertation. But you have parties in front of you, so you have to decide something. And so in this particular case, they found a way around it, which is still to this day highly controversial because that's not the way we normally do it. We want to see someone responsible for some certain effect and not just partially responsible. Mm -hmm. But uh, it also seems to be, uh, it gets interesting here, uh, the cases where this but-for test is not so clear. It's interesting to talk about. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it doesn't always work. And uh, another instance that was, was actually quite interesting uh, two years back was the Alphen and the Rhein shooting it was in 2011 the and so it was a terrorist attack the guy who committed the terrorist attack had a legal firearm but he should never have had it 
because he had a history of, of psychosis, right? So the police should never have had given him the firearm. That much was clear. But now the question was, was the police responsible for the losses suffered by the victims? Mm. And then the police said, well, okay, so we need to look at a hypothetical scenario. So had he not gotten this legal firearm, he would probably have gotten an illegal firearm because yeah he wanted to commit a terrorist attack and if you want to if you're that far down the road you'll get a, a firearm anywhere and intuitively that feels wrong because the police were clearly involved and they gave him a legal firearm and he committed a terrorist attack with it uh, but if you apply that but for test and you know this this argument works then yeah then you have to deny responsibility now the supreme court found a way around it by saying look you, you didn't prove that he had black market connections, so we're not even going to go down that route. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting because they were sympathetic to the argument. So had the police had good evidence showing that he had black market contacts, probably the police would not have been liable. And so that's there you can see that the but-for test can produce some results that you don't really want because, I mean, intuitively, most people say, look, the police were clearly involved. They made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Come on, they, they are liable. right? Yeah. So there you can see... Yeah. when it runs into yeah. into problems. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, maybe it's uh, we can have a little music break yes. uh, and think about uh, more problems <laughs> for the bot for our test. Uh, we can discuss them after. So we will listen to the song uh, Goed te doen van Meetsysteem. I thought it was well fitting with the theme of kind of moral responsibility. Although the song is actually not about moral uh, <laughs> responsibility, but still the, 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 the name reminded me of it.
right. So we had a comment in the chat about the previous example. Um, it is, uh, if the skydiver had been a woman, his client would not have made that comment. Does that matter for the case? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so it just illustrates the logic of the case where, yes, if the client had not been a woman and we fixed the fact that he's still uh, dating men, then would have been a straight woman and wouldn't have made any comments about their sexual orientation that would have led to them being fired. I mean, who knows what kind of comments they would have made, but would it, we can assume would not have led to made a comment that led to them being fired. Now, of course, we really had to fix the circumstances that they were still attracted to um, men in that case and would have been a straight woman because given the circumstances that Don Zarda did make that comment, you might say, well, you know, if we don't, need to fix the circumstances that he's dating men, he might have been a lesbian and then given that he made a comment in the actual world, maybe he would have made a comment in the hypothetical world as well. Um, so that just illustrates the logic of the case where you need to be able to fix actual circumstances and that, you know, if he had been a woman, he still would have been attracted to men and wouldn't have made a comment about his orientation leading to him being fired. Yeah, yeah, okay, clear answer, thank you. Um, yeah, so before the, the music we talked about the but-for test, so the test to kind of determine whether something is a cause of another event. And so this is when we say, okay, what if uh, the first event didn't occur? Did the second event occur as well? Or So if you check, so we explained this before with the light switch uh, being a cause. If you turn on the light switch, this causes the light to go on. So if you uh, do not turn on the switch, the light doesn't go on. So this shows that the light switch causes the light to go on. <laughs> this is the but-for test. And um, yeah, we already saw this one problem with the but-for test that often it is hard to actually see what the cause is. So we have this case with uh, with lung cancer, where you cannot really know for sure if this was caused by asbestos or by him smoking. So here the but-for test um, is a bit, yeah, a bit unclear. Um, and another thing with the but-for test is that sometimes it is not uh, as effective as we might wish in general. And um, we thought it would be nice to illustrate this with the Urgenda case in the Netherlands. Um, Timon, maybe you can explain what this case was. Yeah, so, in, so it comes down to Urgenda, a collective action uh, group um, that want to um, force, essentially, the, the Dutch government to take their climate goals seriously and actually implement measures, right? And they've been doing that in a really constructive way uh, for years and years and years. And then at some point, so force may not have been the right word there, um, in a constructive way, but then at some point they decided, you know, nothing is happening, we're going to sue. And then they went to uh, the district court and then went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And as you may know, it was decided in 2019 and they won, right? So the, the, the Dutch state was ordered to actually take climate measures. Because now, they were, so they were charged with not taking enough climate measures. Yeah, essentially yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So charged may be a bit of a criminal law, but yeah, <laughs> it, uh, term. But yeah, exactly. In, in, in essence, that's what it comes down to. Um, one, one, one comment before we dive into that. So, so far, what we've been doing, we've been looking back, right? We've been trying to figure out something has happened, right? Someone has been fired, someone has gotten lung cancer, uh, and a, a terrorist attack has been committed, right? And we're trying to figure out responsibility for a past event. Um, but when we talk about legal responsibility, 
looking forward is also important and causality comes into play as well, right? I need to be careful on the street because if I'm not, I could hit you with my car and then you would be injured. So because that could happen, I should be more careful, right? So we derive a moral rule or in this case, actually a legal rule from those circumstances. Now, that is the issue in the agenda case because there is no written rule that says you must take climate measures, right? Mm -hmm. The Dutch state never implemented the law obligating itself to do that. No. Now, they had international agreements, but there was a lot of disagreement on whether those were um, enforceable. They weren't in the end. Um, so we couldn't rely on that. So we had to rely on this unwritten body of law. Can we actually say that this is unlawful behavior because terrible consequences could happen? The The, the difficulty starts when you start thinking about the size of the Netherlands. So the government uh, lawyers said, well, look, sure, we're not meeting our climate goals. But even if we do, we're still heading for climate disaster. And even if we don't, but for instance, China does, and the US does, then we won't be heading for climate disaster. In other words, whatever p parameters we change, our behavior doesn't matter. So we're not responsible. So yeah. they're trying to use the same trick and now to avoid having any responsibility whatsoever. So that's very different from the case we, we discussed before. It was very clear that someone did something wrong. Now we're trying to figure out, did, are you actually obligated to do something yes or no? And we're using causation. And that is when it becomes really difficult because they're right. So they kind of used the but-for test to show that they weren't responsible. So they said, okay, we want to see if the fact that we do not have climate measures, whether this... Uh, brings damage to the Dutch citizens. So we check yeah. what if we had climate measures? Oh, then the Dutch citizens would still get damaged because there are so many other countries that have way more like climate impact. Exactly. So yeah. the but yeah, we don't get this but for test, so it wouldn't matter if we have climate measures or not. Exactly right. Yeah. Right. So they're using that to avoid having any legal responsibility at all. And that's a difficult one because like I said just now them right in the sense that just the Dutch state taking measures isn't going to change anything, right? That in itself won't avoid climate disaster. So that that, that much is true. And at the same time, it feels a bit weird, doesn't it? To say, well, you know, there's other people also doing it and they're bigger, so I don't have to do anything, right? That seems wrong. And so then you need to really think about, okay, so why do we have this concept? And then the argument by the Supreme Court was, well, look, everyone collectively has a responsibility and that means that you dutch state have have a partial responsibility and that partial responsibility can be enforced we don't need to talk about the amount of damages that goes along with it you just need to do your part that can be a moral rule too it can be a legal rule too and so it, it, it's a clever argument, I think the only argument they could really make from the Dutch state. But obviously, because it flies into, in the face of tuition, intuition, it also flies into the, in the face of, of, of the legal rules, which just say that you need, always need to take responsibility for your actions. So here too, you need to take responsibility and implement those climate measures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really good that... In this case, it was fortunate enough that there was this other rule, this partial responsibility that we could look at and not just the but for test. Well, so it's a bit of an invention, really. I mean, it's not like... Was we it invented for this case, particularly? Uh, so, so, yes and no. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, 
it's not all that common that we look at it this way because often you have party A against party B, mm-hmm. right? And when you have party A against party B, it's, it's often quite clear what party A did and whether that was a wrong or not. But in this particular case, it, it, it all becomes a bit bigger. There are many other players that you could also have sued, Belgium, the US, China, yeah. but you didn't sue them. So that's a problem. Um, and of course, then the question, and, and, and it's a bunch of people suing the state instead of one. So it all, in, in all sorts of ways, it's a bit difficult. But um, there are some examples. So for instance, if we are in a group and we go in, in, in the city and there's football hooligans and, and, and they start trashing stuff and we keep walking with the football hooligans, we are actually obligated to distance ourselves from that group because by distancing ourselves, we might take the destructive energy out of that group and um, and maybe no damage will will um, ensue. So if there is a group of, of friends like causing havoc in the city, if, if one person, for example, gets in a fight with someone else or mm-hmm. breaks something, mm-hmm. then even if you are not that person, you're just another person in the group, you can also be sued for this? Right, okay, so yeah, so that's the next step, right? So your obligation is to remove yourself from the group, but if you don't do that, you just stick with the group and damage occurs. And it's also quite, so say for instance, we're in a group and you cause damage. It's also quite clear that I didn't do it. The person who suffers the losses thinks that I have more money, which isn't true. But you know, maybe they think you know I'll sue, I'll sue Timon because you know uh, I, have, I have better chances. Then <laughs> I can't defend myself saying I didn't do it, right? Well, I can't say I didn't do it because I was part of the group, and then that rule kicks in saying, look, you 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 shouldn't have been in in, in the group, and the group behavior was the cause. You were part of the group behavior. So yeah. there you see that sort of partial responsibility, not just for your own actions, but for being part of something bigger. Look, it's not ex- the exact same, right? It's not a perfect analogy, but you can see sort of a similar principle there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are many people doing something, but you at least are responsible for your part in it. And so that's... Yeah. Right? So there is, there are some rare cases where yeah. this happened. But yeah, it, mostly it was an invention in this case, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if I'm correct, there is there is one more problem with uh, with the but for test. I don't uh, know, actually, maybe like we should, uh, like we're coming a bit to the end of the of the show and maybe we can, uh, I think maybe it's, would take too long to discuss the other case? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah? Okay, yeah. okay. So then I was actually wondering, so taking a step back, uh, we looked at the but for uh, rule and uh, some cases and some problems with the but for a rule uh, but i was wondering you both Thayme and dean are uh, dealing a lot with causation and what is it that that attracts you so much about this topic why are you wanting to spend so much time <laughs> on this i guess i have a bit of an overactive imagination i like imagining different scenarios and figuring out how things work and interested in all kinds of mechanisms and they can be you know, legal mechanisms or, uh, you know, physical mechanisms. Um, why I was interested, especially in these Supreme Court cases, is because in my work, it's everything is idealized. Uh, you assume that you have some kind of God's eye perspective on the world and then can judge what caused what. Um, so in technical terms, it means that all of the meanings of because that I give are relative to a model. And where that model comes from, I have no idea. It just, it just We assume that we have it. So the examples that Taimen gave of the asbestos case needing to have some heuristic to decide whether we should blame the employer or the smoker. Um, for me, you would have to already answer that question, give me the model and then interpret it. So everything is, I, I guess I like dealing with these idealized cases as a strategy maybe 
I enjoy figuring out what the target is before we learn how to approximate it. You know, we need to know where it exactly it is before we start trying to hit it on a cloudy day. And then you, you're not sure where exactly you're supposed to be pointing. Um, but of course, at the same time, we need a legal system that works with the complexities and messiness of everyday life. And my research doesn't have a lot to say. It can say something about a Supreme Court case. As we saw, it took 10 years for that case to go from the initial complaint to the judgment. And a lot of facts are kind of settled in that process. But of course, we need people to look at, be able to write rules that, and that's really the art of law, I guess, writing rules that still, as, as, you know, hope for some kind of idealized, pure justice, but have to work in, in real life. And my work doesn't really address that. I guess that's more Timon's um, perspective. Yeah, so so you've you've introduced my interest in the topic perfectly. I think <laughs> uh, I like thinking about responsibility and and what we owe to each other. But I I wouldn't want to be a moral philosophy student because then you would keep on arguing forever. And I like arguing, but it is good to get to a, a decision at some point. And that's what I like about law, where you stand in this tradition of just making decisions and trying to make sense of all those decisions and continuing the same principle of thought to make a new decision and new responsibility and causation sort of came into that because it's such an important element of how we attribute responsibility. We use it both beforehand, like we saw in Agenda, and afterwards, like we saw with all the other cases we discussed. So that's where my interest comes from. Mm -hmm. Is there, a, and is there then one last uh, message you have uh, for listeners when it comes to causation, something from your research? F for me, it would be really, um, you should really realize that there's never just one cause that would be a fallacy you would need to actually you need to be aware of the model that you construct around it like Jean just said that would be my mm -hmm. I guess my takeaway would be um, well maybe a more technical boring one but yeah <laughs> you always have to take into account the circumstances when you're judging causation and whether you're judging um, like whether so someone was fired illegally or whether you're judging another person I guess you always have to look at the wider circumstances. We saw that in the uh, Zarda case where it was the circumstances of being attracted to men that we had to keep fixed. But of course, in general, I guess we can say you should look at the circumstances before you pass any judgment. I think that's a good takeaway message. Thanks a lot, Dean. Thanks a lot, Taima. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> you too. And thank you for tuning in today, all the listeners. Um, our show on the 30th of September, uh, we will talk about gender and race bias in science. Uh, if you have any stories to share with us about how you experience race or gender uh, bias in science, tune in next month and let us know in the chat. Uh, we will end with a final song, the one we actually wanted to end with last time. It's... Uh, uh, Disco science from Ventolin. He's a scientist himself. Bye bye.